Uh, today is finally the last sermon on answers and truth. Uh, it's kind of the bonus round today. We really anticipated doing three weeks, but after I kind of chastised you the first week for not sending us any questions, you inundated us with questions, and so we couldn't get them all through in the, thir- in the three weeks, so I, I'm glad that you did that. Uh, and so I'm going to kind of look at some questions that were left over in a sense. Uh, they didn't really go with any other questions. So if it feels like these questions are all kind of like haphazard, a little disjunct with each other, uh, that's because they clearly are, but that's okay. Uh, we want to give you the, the, the tools you need uh, to be a good witness to those around you. And the two verses that we've looked at every single week as a foundation for this series are Colossians 4.6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person, and 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord is holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So we've pointed out the fact uh, every week, and we'll continue to do so today, that these two verses are clear, that we should be able to answer people's questions. When they ask us, why are you a follower of Jesus? Why are you a Christian? Why do you attend that church? We should be able to answer all of those questions very clearly uh, and very succinctly. And yet, uh, both of these verses stress the importance of doing it in love and consideration and kindness to others. And so we always want to be a church, and we always want to be individuals who don't trim off the truth from the edges. We don't make the Bible fit our view of how life should be. But we approach it and let God speak into us. We don't read into the Bible. And so we look at God's truth. We say, here's what it is. But we need to communicate it in a way that's loving and kind to others. And so that's always our balance that we should try to find. And we'll talk about that even more as we go on this week. If you haven't been with us the last few weeks, uh, the first week we approached these questions. What makes Christianity different than any other world religion? And it is. How can anyone believe in the resurrection? And why is Christianity exclusive? If you missed that, you can uh, listen to this sermon on fogkc.com on the internet and our website. Just go to the sermon section and look at it there and you can hear the answer to those questions. The next week, we looked at these questions. Is it all truth relative? Is truth absolute or relative? What is it? How can we trust that the Bible is true? I've had probably more discussions and more breakfasts and lunches over the last two weeks about this question than any others in the history of our church. Uh, Many of you have said that was just really, really beneficial, some information that you probably had never heard about how to defend your belief in the Bible. And so I'm really glad that that's helped you. Why do bad things happen to good people? That's an age-old question that we attempted to answer. And then last week, we did kind of a, uh, a pastor's panel discussion up here and answered these questions. How did God come into existence? What is the process of sharing the gospel? We actually gave you three examples. If what you are telling me is true, my mom isn't in heaven, so why would I want to go? We answered that question. And then what about the innocent people who have never had a chance to hear the gospel? Can they still be saved? And if God loves me, why does he let me suffer? And so we've answered all of those questions. We've got a few questions uh, this week just to go over. I hope that will help you. The whole point of this, folks, is to give you the ability, the, in a sense, knowledge uh, that as you witness to your friends and they ask you these kinds of questions, uh, you can answer them. Or if you're asking question for yourself, how do I answer this? Because I know they're going to ask me. We want to answer that question too. So here's the first one we're going to approach today. How do I know my prayers are heard and don't just make me feel better or give me good vibes. I'm not opposed to good vibes, okay? I'm all about good vibes, but 
there are more important uh, reasons to believe that God hears our prayers. And if I go back to week two and see the reason to believe the Bible, I would look at James chapter five, verse 16. It says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. By the way, uh, when you see that passage, uh, uh, the... Um, uh, prosperity gospel guys will use this and say, right here, the Bible's very specific and clear. It says that if you'll just pray, God will heal every physical affliction. That's not what it's saying. Uh, that's not a proper understanding of this passage. What it means is when you confess your sins to one another, that's not about, that's not about your physical health. I'm not confessing that I'm kicking you, okay? When I confess my sins to one another and pray for one another, we're healed in our spirits, this is a healing of God that happens in our spirits. But the point is, folks, that the prayer does something. It's actively working. In 1 John 5, 14, the Bible says, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And that phrase, according to his will, is quite important. I'll tell you why here in just a moment. And the third passage I want you to see is Ephesians 6, 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, so that, to that end, keep alert and all, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Folks, there's about 40 to 50 passages on prayer and how prayer actively does something when we pray. But I want you to see this. First of all, prayer changes us more than it changes God's mind. You know, when, when I was a child, one of the things that I loved was about the first week of November, we would get something wonderful and magical in the mail. We would get the Sears and Roebuck catalog. And it wasn't just any normal catalog, it was the Christmas wish list catalog. And I know some of you are going, I have no idea what that is. You're right. Uh, this is before the internet, this is even before cable television, all right? Uh, MTV wasn't on the air yet. Uh, and so we got this catalog. We got two or three. We got one from Montgomery Ward and some other place. We got three of them. And so mom would say, hey, hey take a look in here and, and look through the toy process. We do that. And then we give them to her. She'd give them back and say, okay, you circled 43 things. Try to pare it down to seven. Okay, so we'd go down to seven. And, and then what would happen was we'd turn them back into mom. We'd go to the mall and tell Santa Claus what we wanted. And magically on Christmas morning, almost all of them came true. It was truly a Christmas wish list. It was amazing. It was a great process. The problem is, many of us feel like that's how God works. We feel like, well, if I just ask whatever I want, somehow God's like this giant gumball machine in the sky. I place my penny prayer in, and out comes my answer. Folks, that's not how God works. God is not like that at all. It worked great for Santa Claus when I was a kid, but it doesn't work like that. But you know, when I was 12 and I gave my life to Christ, that's how I prayed. Pray, God, I, I know there's not a pony in the book, but I want one. Never came, by the way. Uh, but but you, you ask those things. You pray that way. You say, God, this is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. I can't even tell you the last time that I prayed and said, God, this is some material thing that I want. Please give it to me. I'm not saying you're wrong if you do that. I, I just find that my prayers now have changed drastically. You know, now the majority of my time, I pray for my, pray for my lost friends and neighbors and family. I'm praying that God will somehow penetrate their hearts, that somehow God will work circumstances in their life around them to cause them to think about him. 
I'm not worried about getting a pony anymore. I'm not sure Julie would let me keep one. Uh, I'm not praying for those things anymore. You see, the time that I've spent in prayer, I don't know if it's ever changed God's mind. I know that it has changed me drastically because I no longer pray and ask for God to be a giant gumball machine in the sky giving me what I want. I'm praying for the things that are at the heart of God. He's changed me drastically. You see, prayer is not just about asking for things, although we'll talk about how that can work here in just a minute. But it's really about communicating with God. It's about having a relationship with him. And our relationship is enhanced by our communication with God. And I would say probably that word enhanced is probably not a good word. I should have used the word dependent. Dependent. Our relationship is really dependent on our communication with him. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a long-distance relationship with anyone or, or you've got those friends that, um, from high school or college that you were really close with. And now because you don't ever see him, you don't ever talk to him, you've kind of drifted away. Oh, you still like them, and if they connect with you on Facebook, you'll have a cordial little conversation with them. But there aren't any deep conversations anymore. There aren't any meaningful sharing. There's any meaningful sharing anymore because that distance just somehow makes our relationships fade away. I can tell you that's one of the reasons why I think God created the church to worship every week, not only to celebrate his resurrection, but so that we feel connected to one another. And by the way, if you don't feel connected to here, maybe come to church every week for a while. See how it connects you. I think you might feel differently. So we see here that prayer is not all about us getting something. It's about us being changed. I've shared this before, but I want to share it again because I think it's so clear in my mind how it happened. You know, as a child, I prayed and wished for things. And I don't think that that's wrong. But I think our, our, our prayers should be different like, for instance, when Julie found out 15 years ago, 17 years ago, 18 now, thank you, Jesus, 18 years ago that she had breast cancer. I remember praying, saying, God, here's what I want. I'm going to tell you what I want. We prayed together. This is what we want you to do. But if you don't want to do it our way, we're asking you to help us face this way with integrity, with faith, to trust that your ways are higher than our ways. And even if we don't understand, we still trust you. See, that was about us. That wasn't about changing his mind or making him do something we don't want. And listen, it's not, a, it's not wrong to pray that way. Even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Father, if at all possible, take this away from me. Don't make me do this. I don't want to do this. But at the end, he said, but, but, but Father, it's not my will, but it's your will that I'm here to fulfill. You see, it wasn't about begging God to do what we want. It was about saying, God, here's my heart. Here's what I think. Here's what I want. But at the end of the day, I trust you. And this is about me committing to you that I am not the God. You are. And I am here to serve and to love you. And so prayer is critically important. It does change things. It doesn't change God's mind about things, but it changes us in the process all the time. Now, some of you may say, I don't like that answer. <laughs> well, you know, God is just not the kind of person you can push around. You can't make him do what you want. It's not bad to share your heart and your thoughts and feelings. But folks, he is not there to be bossed around by us. And sometimes in our, our 
desire to have our prayers answered for what we want, we seem to act that way. So here's the answer to question number one. God hears and cares about our prayers, but that does not mean that he always answers the way we would like. But I will tell you, the people that I have prayed for, that I have prayed that they will come to know Jesus as their Savior, those people I have had more spiritual conversations with, I have been able to share the gospel with more, I have been able to lead them to Christ more than the other people that I'm not praying for. Now, whether that's because God's changing me as I pray for it and making me more uh, uh, apt to see it or whatever, or it's truly uh, him changing their hearts, I can't, I can't measure that and tell you. But here's what I'm telling you, folks. Prayer works. It just works. And so it's not just a feeling. It's not just to make you feel good. It's not just to give you good vibes. But it's to solidify your relationship with Jesus as you serve him and you live with him and for him. Question number two. How do I witness to my Mormon relatives? How do I witness to my Mormon relatives? Well, um, I'm just going to take you through some steps here. I can't give you a verse that specifically says how to do this, but I think there's some principles that definitely apply. First of all, pray for their salvation. We just talked about how prayer works. We just talked about how God works through prayer to, to really change people's hearts and, and to, to minister to them and to draw them to him or to cause us to be more apt to share the gospel with them, but pray for their salvation. They are more apt to come to Christ by you praying for them than you not praying for them. Number two, don't argue the doctrine of Mormonism or any other cult. Now, I've chosen that word specifically because I would define a cult as anybody who believes in another Jesus or another gospel other than what the Bible teaches about Jesus and what the Bible teaches about the gospel, uh, the way to connect to God in relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. Any of those other religions are cults. And I want to encourage you not to argue the doctrine of Mormonism. Uh, here's why. When you get down to that level of, and talking about those things, those are the verses they got memorized. Those are the verses they've got taken out of context. They will beat you up with all of the specialized verses that we're going to use to defend our faith. So don't get caught up into that. Don't get caught up into that. Uh, but when you do have a conversation with them, I want to offer you two really key parts of a conversation. First of all, make terms very clear. When you begin to talk to them, Make sure that when you use the word salvation, it means the same thing to you as it does to them because it doesn't. Okay? To us, when we talk about the word salvation, we're talking about an individual who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross to pay for their sins, to give them eternal life and connect them to God the Father. What they mean uh, specifically the Mormons, is that everybody is kind of universally saved and now we're just uh, living by works to see which uh, phase of heaven we get into. So when you use the term salvation, they'll agree with you that salvation comes through Jesus. Sounds reasonable, right? But remember, either last week or two weeks ago, when I asked you the question, how many of you believe that we're saved by faith? Almost all of you raised your hands, but I tricked you because we're not saved by faith. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you see? So words matter. Words matter to them greatly. So use your words very carefully and make all of the religious terms very clear. But here's really the key. Always communicate the key parts of the gospel so that they can know Christ. 
Folks, their mind cannot be open to the truth until they accept Christ as their Savior. They can't understand the truth. Without the Spirit of God in them, uh, you know, you can't. So I'm not going to get into some, you know, 30-minute discussion about magic underwear and whether it's true or not and all this kind of goofy stuff. I'm not going to talk about that stuff with them. But here's what happens when they come to my house. And, and every single time either them or the Jehovah's Witnesses come to my house, this is what I do. Say, so, okay, here's the deal, guys. I'm going to let you come into my house for 20 minutes. You're going to get to talk to me uninterrupted. I will let you say whatever you want to say. Then I get 20 minutes uninterrupted. If you'll agree to those terms, come on in. They always agree. And so they come on in, and so I listen to them for 20 minutes. I take some keynotes, and then when they finish, I say, okay, guys, let me just share with you some things you talked about. I limit my discussion to the gospel. I'm not gonna, I don't want to talk about Joseph Smith, and he was a false prophet. I don't want to talk about all that stuff. I want to talk about the gospel. I want to talk about who Jesus was. I want to talk about how the, what the yes, we say we believe that. Great. Then I'm just going to read to you from this. Here's what it says. Boom, 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 boom. And at the end of that 20 minutes, their heads are spinning. Because they don't, they don't know what to think. And I always say to them as they leave the, the house, I say, I say, here's the deal, guys. Here's what I want you to understand. You have to either believe the Bible or what your church teaches you. But you can't believe both because they contradict one another. There is a logic problem there. You have to decide one or the other. And they're trying to believe that they can believe both, but you can't. You can't both believe that water is wet and dry at the same time. It doesn't work. And so they leave my house, and they always say, well, listen, can we come back? We'd like to talk, we'd like to talk about these things and come back. I say, sure, come on back. So we make an appointment, and then, like, usually the youngest guy I never see again, but the other guy, he comes back with a, a, a deacon or an elder of the church, and we do the same thing. And their heads are spinning when they leave 20 minutes later. And they say, hey, can we come back? And we say, sure. And so I never see that other guy, the first guy ever again. I don't know whether they vanish off the planet or what happens to him. Uh, but then the deacon comes back with an elder. And, well, you know, I've been trying to work my way up to Joseph Smith, you know, eventually. Uh, <laughs> but here's the bottom line, folks. When we talk about the key parts of the gospel, and we've got to keep the, if you want to witness to your friends and neighbors and especially your family members who are caught up into one of these false religions, you've got to focus your discussion on the gospel, on who Jesus is and what he did. He's not a man who came to this earth like the rest of us and he just happened to fulfill perfection, therefore attaining his Jesus-dom, his Christian-dom. That's not what he did. He preexisted before the foundation of the world. He is God in the flesh. He came here for the specific uh, uh, journey to save us from our sins. And it's very easy to see from the Bible that those things are true. And so focus on those things. So here's the, the answer in a, in a one-sentence deal. Focus on the gospel, which has the power to change their mind and their life. And I should have added their heart. Here's the deal, folks. If you can get them to accept Christ as their Savior... You won't have to have a bunch of discussions about magic underwear. They'll just figure it out. The Spirit of God and the Word of God will help them to discern the truth. And they'll come out of that false religion, and they'll worship the one true God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Question number three. Where does the Bible stand on homosexuality and transgenderism? Now, we got more, more questions about this topic than any other and, and we were talking in the office the other day, and I said, haven't we answered, I mean, haven't we answered this a couple of times in the last couple of years? And we, we think we have, uh, but we want to answer it again because many of you had questions about it. And so uh, we want to talk about it just for a few minutes. I want you to see 1 Corinthians 6, 
uh, verses 9 and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now there are churches right down the road this way and right down the road this way that will tell you that this doesn't mean what it says. That homosexuality is okay. That it's just another way that God wants to share his love with the world. That is completely a lie. This verse is very specific and it's very clear. But I want you to see uh, that we need to be careful not to become a church that focuses on one sin. Because if we want to use this passage to say, listen, uh, people who are homosexuals, according to this passage, who practice homosexuality, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, do not inherit the kingdom of God, we, we want to say, yeah, that's right. It also says that drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're ready to, we're ready to cheer that. It also says that people who are greedy won't inherit the kingdom of God. We're ready to cheer that. It also says, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. We ready to cheer that? All I'm saying, folks, is let's not treat this like uh, different than any other sin. And by the way, when it says the words practicing, uh, that's very different than what our culture defines as a homosexual. Our culture defines a homosexual as anybody who's attracted to someone of the same gender. That's not what the Bible says. It says someone who practices homosexuality. In fact, all of the rest of these are practice verses. Uh, th these verses mean, it doesn't say, hey, if you got drunk in college one time, you're not going to heaven. It's not what it means. What it means is if the word drunkard characterizes your life, if the people who know you best would use that as one of the top three adjectives for who you are, it says you want to inherit the kingdom of God. So somebody who is, is tempted to be attracted to sa the same gender, uh, temptation is not a sin, folks. It's only when they act on that and they pursue it and they fulfill it that it has... Obviously, I'm not used to using water up here. Water's a shock to my system. Uh, that's when it becomes a, a, a kind of a disclaimer. Here's why it says that, folks. And we say, well, wait a minute. Doesn't that teach salvation by works? No. What it's saying is, if a person is sins, the likelihood is they've never had a transformed heart. You can't have a transformed heart and be a swindler to everybody you know. You can't have a transformed heart and try to be one up on every deal that you ever get and try to rip everybody off every single time that you get an opportunity. That's what it's talking about. But it's very clear from this passage that those who practice homosexuality will not inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean anything different than what it says. Now, transgenderism is a little bit different. In Deuteronomy 22.5, it says this. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. That is part of the Old Testament law. And it is clear that it is not permissible. But if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 
We see, it, does not nature itself teach you? Now think about that for a minute. Think about that phrase. Does not nature itself teach you? So it's all, all already saying, listen, folks, just by looking at nature and the way that we're made, you can learn some things. Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? By the way, you like my new haircut? I did it just for this sermon. <laughs> but if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Now, some would say, well, these kind of allude to that, but does the Bible strictly and specifically say that transgender people, uh, transgenderism is a sin? I can tell you that I can't find a passage that says transgenderism is a particular sin, but that doesn't mean it isn't. Can you find anywhere in the Bible where it says looking at pornography on the internet is a sin? You can't. It's not in there. But certainly there are principles that would apply to that behavior, right? And there are principles that apply to this behavior. Here's my answer for you. Sexual confusion in our culture is an attack on God's sovereignty. Oh, first of all, homosexuality and transgender are sinful behaviors according to the Bible, and here's why. Sexual confusion in our culture is an attack on God's sovereignty. Listen, I'm not talking about every single person. If there's a 13-year-old boy struggling with his uh, uh, sexuality and he's confused and all that, I'm not saying he's doing this, but overall, overall, what all of this uh, uh, sexual revolution and the confusion in our culture, folks, that is an attack on God's sovereignty. It is nothing short of that. Here's why. When I, when, I, when I look in the mirror and say, okay, I'm a man, but God, you're wrong, saying, God, I, I don't believe what you did. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't believe how you've created me. I choose another way. We may not understand, they may not understand that they're doing that, but in reality, what we're saying is, I reject reality, and I'm choosing a different path because God messed up. Now, a couple of years ago, when we preached about this, uh, I actually wore a king's robe and a crown as I preached about it. I don't know if you remember that or not, but I said to everybody here, listen, I just want you to know I have always felt royal. Since I was a child, I felt very royal. Uh, had my parents call me prince. Uh, I thought I was a dog for a while, but, but, but they called me prince. And, and so from now on, as you leave the sanctuary, I want you to stop shaking my hand, and I want you to bow before me and kiss my ring, because I am now the king of Fellowship of Grace. I want you to know that. You all laughed at me. You mocked me. Why? Because that's just a ridiculous notion. It's just a ridiculous notion that I should be able to define with my own thinking something that just isn't true. But we've got a culture that says, you get a pass. You want to do something different than what God made you, how God made you, and how he, he made you to interact with others? You get a pass because we don't want to hurt your feelings. We don't want to tell you the truth about who you are. Folks, this is not something we should take out on individuals, but this is something that we should uh, be very clear on as a church, that any sexual confusion in our culture is an attack on God's sovereignty. God created men and he created women, and he created them to interact with one another and for them to be uh, mutually exclusive in the act of marriage uh, sexually with one another. 
anything outside of that, anything outside of that is uh, sinful. And it's thumbing our nose at God. But as we say that with all clarity, this is important. Number three, we should always act in love and concern towards those confused about their sexuality. That doesn't mean we don't tell them the truth, but that does mean that we, we deliver the message in as loving and as caring uh, uh, a, a package that we can. I want us to be known for this, folks. If, if you ask me, how do you want Fellowship of Grace to be known in the community? I, I would say, well, one of the ways I would want us to be known is, I want us to be known as people who believe they make us uncomfortable. We don't whittle off the edges because uh, they, they sound like um, it doesn't, it's not inclusive to everybody. We want to stick with the truth, but we want to be known for being loving and caring and concerned for those who are outside of God's will. I've never known anybody, uh, whether it's on Facebook or on a, in a debate or any other place, I've never known anybody to uh, figure out their sexual confusion by being beaten up with the truth. I've never seen anybody go, okay, man, okay, I give in, I give in, you're right, you're right. You, just, you beat me so hard with the truth, I give up. I've never seen anybody that way. Okay, that doesn't help them. What helps them is being loving and kind as we deliver the message that God created them to be who they are. And so I hope that we can find that balance to stick with God's truth and yet always communicate it in love and concern towards others. Question number four. It's kind of related, but here was the question. Oh, but, oh sorry, here, let me give you the answer there for number three first. Both are considered sin by the Bible, yet we should act in love and concern towards those who are confused by their sexuality in order to lead them to Jesus and the truth. You know, I have, uh, before I get off this point, I have three very close friends from high school who are all practicing homosexuals. And I continue to communicate with them, probably through Facebook more than anything else. And, and a couple of years ago, <clears throat> when the uh, Supreme Court came out with their decision, uh, one of them put on his Facebook, you know, this is for all you Christians who have been mean and, and hateful and da-da-da-da-da. And I sent him a message. And I'm going to call him Joe. His name's not Joe, so don't look on my Facebook for all the guys named Joe. Uh, I, I said, hey, Joe, uh, what you just said on your Facebook is not true. You and I have had this discussion probably 10 times. We disagree vehemently about what's right and what's wrong. He grew up with me in the church. Uh, but I have never been unkind to you. I have never been unloving to you. I have never been hateful to you. And what you just put on your Facebook is not true. He actually posted a retraction. And said, I apologize. Not all you crazy Christians are like this, but most of you are. I'm like, well, that was, that was a little better. But folks, I want us to be able to defend that. I want us to be able to say, when, when, when somebody says, hey, you're all mean, and I want us to be able to say, wait a minute, I, we've talked about that. I've never been mean to you. Have I? And I want them to have to say, you're, you're right. I yield. On this point, you're right. Yes, we, we vehemently disagree, we couldn't disagree any more strongly, but yet you've always been kind and loving towards me. Thank you. 
I want that to be our response. Number four, if homosexuality is a sin, isn't it mean of God to create hermaphrodites? This is kind of related, uh, and it's a very specific question, so probably for somebody who's either dealing with someone like this or, or has a friend or family member like this. Hermaphrodites, if you don't know, folks, are people who are born basically with both genitalia. Most of the time, they are not both fully developed, uh, but they are both present. And would it be mean of God to create them? So I'm going to give you this answer, and I hope it doesn't, isn't offensive to anybody. I tried really hard to use words that are not offensive. So I apologize if I am. All abnormalities are a result of the penalty of Adam's sin. God's character is not in question because of our choices. Now, that doesn't mean that this person chose badly or their parents chose badly or any individuals chose badly. I'm getting over a cold today, and I'm not going to shake any of your hands. It's not because I'm mean or I don't like you anymore. I just, if I'm not quite perfectly well yet, I don't want to give you my cold. So I'm going to, I'll, I'll give you the elbow today. All right? Listen, I'm sick or have been sick this week because of Adam's sin. Every illness that we have is because of man's sinfulness. Not our particular individual sinfulness, but sinfulness in general. We weren't created to be sick. We weren't created to be born with, with problems. I was me tremendously as a child. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't because God was trying to be mean. It got, listen, if you've got the idea that somehow God is up in the sky with a big magnifying glass, you know, burning ants, that's just not who he is, okay? That's just, that's just not his character. But listen, sin... Sin just permeates every part of our world. The roses I have out in front of my house have thorns because of Adam's sin. There's, I mean, just so much is affected by that. So folks, listen, any abnormalities at birth are because of the sinfulness that just plagues the planet. No, no individual sin, but, but that sin. And so we need to uh, just understand that we have to deal with that and that God is here to help us through that. He's not just looking to be mean to people or to create problems for them. That's not who he is. The last question, which is pretty unrelated, but I want to answer it very quickly, is how do I decide what church to join between good Bible-believing churches? This is always the thing that I've uh, used is if their name spells something, if the first three letters of their church's name spell something, it's probably a great church to be a part of. Uh, okay, let's look at some other things. All right. The first one is this. Make sure it's Bible-believing. Make sure it's Bible-believing. Listen, uh, this, is, this is very interesting. I've noticed even in the last 10 years of this church uh, being on the planet, uh, churches are beginning to pull their beliefs off their website. Have you, have, you, have you noticed that? Maybe you don't look at them as much as I do. But churches are getting less and less upfront about what they believe. You know why? Because they just want everybody to come. It doesn't matter what they believe. Here's something interesting. Uh, people will check out the church's website. In fact, for most of you who came to Fellowship of Grace, when I ask you how do you found Fellowship of Grace, most of you will say, well, even whether you saw the sign first or you're a drive-by or whatever, then I checked out the website, then I came here. Now, that's for most of you who are already Christians, okay? Uh, uh, Christians look at our website. People who don't know Christ, they don't look at our website to see what we believe before they come. They don't care what we believe because they don't know what they believe. But you all check it out, and, and I want you to know what we believe. 
Because if you don't believe the same things we believe from the Bible, then this is probably not the right fit for you. But make sure that any church you're considering going to is a truly Bible-believing church. And if they are secretive about what they believe, that might be a tip-off. Might be a tip-off. Number two, pray for direction from God. We just talked about that. Listen, I believe God wants to direct us. And I believe that he'll direct us partly, partly, uh, through the, the, the impression we get as we pray. And so ask him to share with you where to, where to go. Three, can you easily follow the leaders? Now, whether that church is a congregationally-led church or whether it is a solo pastor dictatorship or whether it is a plurality of pastor elders like we have here that lead the church, uh, you need to be going to a church where you can easily follow the leaders. doesn't mean you have to agree with them about everything. doesn't have to mean you have to agree with them on every subject or on every particular thing. But you need to be able to uh, agree with them mostly and be able to follow them. All right? If you can't follow the leaders, you're just going to be swimming upstream your whole life at that church. And eventually, it's just not going to work out. All right, so I would encourage you uh, to always make sure that you can follow the leaders of the congregation. And then fourth, are they responsible and transparent about their finances? Every church should be responsible and transparent with their finances. This is not our money. It's God's money. And so it, it just takes a, a different level of transparency <coughs> that should be provided. Here at Fellowship of Grace, we put the, uh, the finances on the city every single month so you can see them. Kind of experts uh, in the financial realm. We could do all of that in-house, couldn't we? Yeah, we could. Well, why are we paying like two, $300 a month to, to have somebody on the outside like check that for us every month? Well, we do that to provide this level of transparency. We do that to provide a certain level of, of just uh, accountability that would not take place if we were all in-house. Uh, now, I, I just did a little commercial for the people that we have uh, that do our, help us with our books and stuff. And one of the things that I said was, you know, as Fellowship of Grace started, I didn't have to worry about what was happening with all the money. It was very clear every month where it was going. We could make good decisions. We could make strategic decisions because we knew what the trends were. We knew what was happening. But more importantly than that, folks, if people are not honest with you about money, that's not a church you should go to. I mean, that's just, uh, you should not trust somebody who's not transparent with the finances. And so if you ever have a question about the finances here, feel free to ask us. We'll break out last month's uh, financial records and we'll take you through whatever you need to know. Lastly, is there a place for you to get involved in ministry? Is there a place for you to get involved in ministry? Maybe this is not something you look at right away, but if it's one of those uh, 2080 churches where 20% of the people do 80% of the work, uh, that's a statistic that churches throw around a lot, uh, you don't want to go there. Okay, you don't want to be a part of a church where you come in, you flop down on Sunday morning, they entertain you for an hour, and you walk out, and that's your whole experience of connecting with the body of Christ. That's not how God intended it. That's not how it's supposed to be. But unfortunately, it is a way of life for a lot of North American churches. So don't be a part of that. If you, don't, if you can't see clearly uh, that there's a place for you to get involved in ministry, run for the hills because the church is upside down. Okay? The elders of this church are not supposed to, we're not the professional uh, ministers where you pay us to do all the ministry. That's not biblical. It's upside down. You're paying us to equip and to, to educate and to help all of you become the ministers. 
That's a big difference. It may look similar, but it's a very, very different concept. And so always be a part of a church that'll give you an opportunity uh, to be involved in ministry. So here's my answer to number five. Find out as much as you can, pray, and allow God to lead you to a church where you can fulfill God's dream for your life. God has a dream for your life, and and the, the local church is a part of it. So find the church where you can get plugged in, where you can be a part of it, and then you can commit your life to, to, to fulfilling God's ministry that he's put in your life through and in the local church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your spirit. We thank you for just the truth that exists out there. I pray that you would guide us and lead us as we uh, uh, initiate conversations with our friends and neighbors and family. And Father, I pray that you would just uh, uh, help us to be able to answer their questions not with every perfect answer, but at least uh, be able to have a reason for our faith, a reason for uh, why we are committed to you and what your son Jesus did for us. Father, I pray that you would just guide us and help us as we have those conversations and uh, use us in a great way to fulfill the ministry you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.